things. Today, I want to talk to you about harvest itself. And what was incredible is I thought this would be the easiest of all the sermons because I had this one down pat. I was going to preach 2 Samuel 23 where one of David's mighty men were in a field of beans and he wouldn't let the enemy come and get the beans at harvest time. And I have preached that thing upside down. I could preach that in my sleep. But then the Holy Spirit said, why don't you talk about what Jesus said about the harvest? And I said, oh, okay. You ever had a plan and God kind of say, I've got a different plan? Anybody say amen? Well, that's the plan that we're going to go with today. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Father, today again I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to allow us as people of faith to see through your word. And I give you the praise and honor and glory for the impact of everyone's life, including myself as your word goes forth because you promise your faithfulness that your word would not return void so father today anoint and enable me and empower me by the Holy Spirit and I give you the praise and honor in Jesus name and everybody said amen Matt if you can give me just a little bit without this thing uh, feeding back we'll try it the three times that Jesus starts to talk about the subject of harvest one of them is in John chapter 4 and John chapter 4 is unusual because Jesus is teaching in a very popular place and then all of a sudden he decides that he has to relocate to another area and in the relocation process he's going to do something that is unusual See, in between where he's coming from to where he is going, there's a parcel of land called Samaria. And the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. There was a lot of cultural beef between the two. And they really um, didn't talk to each other, didn't like each other. Matter of fact, bordered on hating each other in such detail that a normal Orthodox Jewish man would walk six and a half hours around Samaria instead of going through it. And so Jesus is about to, to do something different and he's going to teach the principle of harvest and he decides that he is going to go in Samaria. Well, his disciples don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. So what he does is send them on an errand. And he says, you go get food, I'm going to do my job. They go get food, he meets with a woman at a well. Now this woman and him are, are diametrically opposed culturally. That means that she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, and not just that, but in the culture and in the time, Jewish men really didn't talk to women, and they certainly didn't talk to Samaritan women. And all of a sudden, he's there at a well waiting on her to show up. And here she comes at an hour. Most of them don't draw water. And here she comes. And Jesus is there. And he starts to have a dialogue with her. And she starts to see things that is unusual about him. And he says, hey, I'd like to have something to drink. And he, she said, what are you doing talking to me, a Samaritan woman? We don't like each other. And... He says, well, there's two types of water because she wants to get kind of... Um, you, ever, you ever gotten in a conversation with God and you want to tell Him how qualified you are? Like He needs your qualifications? Like, God, I've, I went to church every Sunday since I was 13 years old. I've been doing this and this and this and this. And that's what she was doing. She said, hey, you want some water? You're thirsty. You're going to have to come through me because I'm the only one with a bucket. And he says to her, well, you can draw the water out of this well with your bucket, but I have water that you'll never thirst again. 
<coughs> and she says, well, I'd like some of that water. And before he gives her this water that she would never thirst again, he decides that he's going to tell her a little bit about herself. About He says, well, you know what, just to be a little bit more culturally appropriate, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. Now, I'm going to preach here for just a moment because we have misidentified this woman. First of all, she is not perfect because the man that she is currently in a relationship with is not her husband. So we know she's not perfect, but don't blame her for the other five marriages. Because a lot of times we make her a villain saying, oh, she must have had bad reputation because she had five husbands and now she's with a man that isn't even her husband. First of all, she's not a villain. She's a victim. She's been abandoned and rejected five times. A woman in that day could not apply for a divorce. Only a man could. So it wasn't her running out on the men. It was the men running out on her. And so here is a broken, rejected woman living a less than perfect life coming to a well and he's there to meet with her and as he's meeting with her the disciples come back carrying groceries and they're like okay Jesus they don't even pay attention to the woman they don't acknowledge she's there that's how bad the hatred was and they're like okay do away with her and let's come and eat he said no I can't eat listen to what he says Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food uh, to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields. They are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One who sows and another reaps, I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Can everybody say amen to the reading of God's word? Now I want you to turn back to verse 35 and put verse 35 up there. And do you realize that the first thing he wants you to know about the harvest is something you can see? And he tells him, lift up your eyes. There are four months. Lift up your eyes and look at the harvest. And you've got to understand, if you don't really pay attention to this portion of Scripture, you're going to misunderstand it completely. He's telling them to look at something that is not there. They're not at a farm, they're not at a field, there's not a crop in sight, they're at a well. And he's telling them, look, open up your eyes, look at the harvest. What is he trying to get them to see? He's trying to get them to see souls, people, lives. Not just any lives, but lives nobody else would go to. See, where he was standing, Jacob's well was in the city of Sychar, known as the city of liars. Now, the next time you take a cruise, the next time you go on vacation, how many of you are going to trip advisor the city of liars so you could go visit there? I'm not. It's not a popular destination. I'd like to go where everybody lies and doesn't tell the truth and try to deceive me and cheat me out of something. I don't want to go there. But Jesus did. And what he was doing was saying, I want you to understand that the harvest is where people won't go. To people that have been forgotten, broken, damaged by life, crushed by the circumstances. And yet I've come to give them life and give it to them more abundantly. And I'm wanting you to see something even different. I want them you to see, he's talking to his disciples, he said, I'm wanting you to see who you used to be. See, a lot of times when we're sitting in this room, 
We forget about who we were before Jesus. And you've been living for him for so long, you forgot about how he rescued you. And sometimes that can make us self-righteous and even judgmental towards others. Because he's talking to a woman they're not paying attention to. And he's arrested, it's arrested his whole itinerary to walk through the, the city of Liars, Sychar, in the midst of Samaria where no Jew would go. And he's telling them, look around you, man. Look at this woman. What you see is a broken woman that I shouldn't be talking to in a place that we shouldn't be. But what I'm telling you is she's an evangelist to a city about to, to open up the revival gates and allow heaven to pour down here and lives to be transformed and I want to remind you that was you see I wanted you to know that no rabbi chose you either and so after your formal schooling they sent you back home to be fishermen and I come and showed up on a dock and called you to be a follower of me a rabbi a the Messiah, the Christ, and you came and followed me. I wanted you to know that before you got in this crew, you were once in her crew. And sometimes we in the church forget about the people outside like, oh, they're just this and they're just that and they're just this. I'm going to preach this thing this morning because I used to be this and that. And some of you used to be this and that. And we know the power of the outstretched hand of God that can touch even the brokenness of our own lives and make us whole. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> See, the harvest is in a place no one wants to go behind cultural barriers that no one wants to cross and for people that can't be seen by the majority. This is who Jesus went to see. He wanted them to know that they were fishermen, broken men that once were on the outskirts of society, but yet he called them to be mighty men that would literally turn the world upside down with the power of the gospel. And then, the, as if you'll just put John chapter 4, he's still at the well with his disciples talking about the harvest, but then he really goes and teaches them again in two other places. Same 12 guys. Luke chapter 10, Matthew chapter 9. Luke chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 9 are some of my favorite chapters of the Bible. And in these passages, I want you to understand that when John chapter 4 takes place and he's teaching them about the harvest, he talks about sowers and reapers, those that are working in the harvest. And all of a sudden, he's telling them it's mandatory you participate. Because this is what happens. Have you ever noticed that we take a scriptural truth and we bend it to fit our way? Instead of doing what the Bible says? How many of you have ever prayed for a harvest? I know I have. God, send in the harvest. God, send the harvest. God, give us the harvest. He's not. Because he never told you to pray that way. Listen to what he teaches his disciples concerning harvest. He says this. And in Luke chapter 10, he said, After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and every place where him himself was about to go, he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and, and greet no one on the road whenever uh, you, how, whatever house 
house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborers deserve uh, his wages. Do not go from house to house whenever you enter into the town and they receive you. Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's Luke chapter 10. Luke, Matthew chapter 9 says something very similar. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into the harvest. He says the same thing twice. That means it's important. He says, look around you, the harvest is plentiful. But pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Not to bring the harvest, but to send you to the harvest. See, if this is our harvest, if we're harvesting, if we're a corn farmer, this is kind of how the church has lost some authority on the earth, is that instead of us doing scripture, we like to do it the way that feels good. So we get spiritual when we should be doing work. And so what we do is we point our hands towards the corn and we say, in the name of Jesus, get in the barn. <laughs> There's not a crop in the world that brings itself into the barn. But yet we keep praying for God to give us the harvest, give us the harvest, give us the harvest. He said, I planted the seed thousands of years ago for salvation. You're just a part of the process. The harvest is right outside your door. All you got to do is look and open up your eyes to see it. Then pray earnestly for God to enable you to go get it. We're like this. God, give us corn, give us corn, give us corn. He said, it's next door. You're supposed to say, okay. God, enable me to go on your behalf to seek your glory and reveal your truth to the world and enable me to go get corn. And then you're supposed to walk out here like this and put your hand right here on the thing and go like this and go, ah, corn. But most of us just stay in this position. God, give us corn. I fasted 14 days for corn. And the Holy Spirit saying, you don't need a miracle, you just need action. Go outside. It's there. He says, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to enable you to be laborers that are sent into the harvest. Now, proximity is incredibly important. Because to get to the corn, you got to be there. You got to put your hand on it. And see, going back to John chapter 4, here he is talking to this woman. And this is where I'm going to preach for just a moment. Amy can get ready to play me something. About the kingdom coming near to you is that proximity. He tells them both in both passages, Luke chapter 10 and, Mar and Matthew chapter 9. He says, when you get to the place where the harvest is, stop for a moment and declare, the kingdom of heaven has come close to you. In King James, it's the kingdom of heaven has come nigh unto you. What does that even mean? Well, if you go back to him talking to the woman at the well, she gets on a path, they get on a discussion about worship. She says, we worship on this mountain. We got our thing going on over here. You worship in Jerusalem. But I'm waiting on the Messiah to come that he's going to fill in all the blanks. He said, dear woman, and I see him in, in his John Deere hat 
And he says like this, he turns around and says, Dear woman, I am that in which you speak of. The one that you're waiting for is here talking to you. And what he is saying is the kingdom has come nigh unto you. And when he, the kingdom has come nigh unto you, that means Jesus is close. And when Jesus is close, he could take a broken, rejected, abandoned woman in five marriages and living with a person right now and make an evangelist out of her without hardly even lifting a hand because she gets transformed by what he says and who he is and then goes tells the whole city about him and they all come to hear and there's two days of revival. But how about Luke chapter 10? He sends out the 72. He says, when you walk into a city, you just stop for a moment and you declare the kingdom of heaven has come nigh unto you. It is drawn near unto you. And then all of a sudden he tells them, go heal the sick. You go look for people that are hurting and broken and messed up. And you tell them the same thing I told a broken, messed up woman at a well. And I want you to start looking for people that nobody else wants. And I want you to go to places nobody else will go. And I want you to start seeing things and seeing people like I see them. And all of a sudden, that's why we can look into the eyes of three beautiful little girls and say, oh, they're going to be mighty women of God. Because we're not looking at just the present in their little outfits to get dedicated in. What we're seeing is a woman of God that is going to have and hold the promises of God and the authority of God's Word in her heart that she might one day, I'm coming back to them in Matthew chapter 9 but when they come back this is what the Bible says that they said and it said in Luke chapter 10 verse 17 it said the 72 returned with joy touch your neighbor and say with joy saying the Lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I have given you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So when you are enabled and empowered to go into the harvest, there's stuff in the harvest trying to get people. Like snakes and scorpions. Demons. And I'm here to preach some truth today. I'm not wanting to be prideful, but I'm wanting to be confident. I cannot... See, some of you are saved. And you've got Jesus in your heart, but you're afraid of the devil. There's a different identity that you could have. You've been watching too many horror movies. Where jerk, folk get jerked into closets and snatched under beds. You say, Pastor, that's real. That's, that's demonic. Man, what you don't understand is Luke chapter 10 says you should not be afraid of the devil, but the devil should be afraid of you. They come back and say, I went into a city and started healing in the authority of the kingdom. And then demons rose up. And I spoke Jesus' name and in the authority of that name, demons had to release their hold on people's lives. That means those that were bound are now free. That's good preaching right there. Because sometimes we want to get to the corn without facing the snakes. But if you ever understood who went with you into the harvest, you wouldn't be afraid of the snakes. Because the authority of the name of Jesus conquers all. Amen. So 
we've got, we got a little principle going here. He's going for people that nobody else wants to go for in places. No, Who wants to go to somebody demon-possessed house? Hey, you got the devil? Okay, yeah, I'm showing up Friday from 5 o'clock. Freedom is coming. Nobody wants to go into some of those appointments like that. But how about Matthew chapter 9? Do you know that when he teaches on the harvest, it's the last thing in the chapter? You know what he does before that? I got the list. I'm going to walk around. Because this is where I get to preach a little bit. Jeremy, because I used to be some of these people. And the first thing he did in the whole chapter, he healed a paralyzed man. First thing he does. You ever been in a situation you couldn't get out of? That man couldn't get up or walk either. But Jesus showed up and he gave him an ability to, uh, that he didn't have yesterday. But in the moment where Jesus showed up in a paralytic man's life, that paralyzed means you don't have, you're, you're impotent of power. Your legs won't hold you up. But Jesus shows up and all of a sudden his legs work again. He, he can move. And then, here's where I really, he walks out of healing a guy paralyzed. And he walks by a dude named Matthew, a hated tax collector that everybody hated in the whole city and said, oh man, I've been looking for one new disciple. Come on, follow me. I know nobody else would pick you. I know nobody else even wanted you. But you come on, man. You're going to die for the gospel. You're going to preach in Asia. You're going you're gonna to be a martyr for the kingdom. People see you behind a tax desk cheating people. I see you as a disciple, as an apostle, as a preacher of the gospel. I was Matthew. I was broken on a beach, messed up, going from girl to girl, booze to booze, drug to drug and Jesus didn't see the moment of my, my, my perpetual sin. He walked up to me on a beach and knelt down beside me in the sand and said, I'm going to make a pastor out of you. Nobody else there wasn't even a church that wanted me to come more or less be their pastor. They didn't even want me to show up, man. Because if I'd have showed up, I'd have been high. Well, we don't need that in the church. You're wrong. We need high folks to come in and leave sober because somehow or another they got in the presence of God and He transformed them. So He, he healed a paralyzed man, then called a man nobody else would want. And then He asked, answers a question on fasting. And then He just raises a girl from the dead. He said, yeah, all right, I've healed the paralyzed guy. I've called the guy that nobody else wants. Oh, there's a dead girl. Come back to life in Jesus' name. You ever had any dead things you need to raise to life? You know there's people right here that their marriages is dead and been dead for years, but they just haven't gone through the paperwork yet that God can resurrect. Ooh, that's good preaching right there, Pastor. Keep preaching. And then he didn't even stop at raising a girl from the dead. He heals two blind dudes. Two guys can't even see. So he's paralyzed guy, called somebody nobody wants. He's answered a question on fasting healed two guys that were blind and then to top it off he decides to heal somebody that can't talk and then after all of those healings just like Luke chapter 10 he says hey boys come up get close open up your eyes and see the harvest because the fields are white for harvest but the laborers are few He's saying, go to those that are broken. Those are that can't move and can't get themselves here. We start inviting people to church. I want you to invite people to church. 
But do not leave them in their present condition without the church coming to them. What I want is one day Lana is going to call up Josie and say, Josie, you remember that song we sung when we got dedicated? Like we can't see that he's working and we can't feel that he's working. Well, I got a problem. I got a co-worker that just got told that they had cancer and I can't see any difference. She's going to treatment after treatment. And Josie says, hey, I want you to do something. Let's call up. Up, up Oakland and let's get to Oakland and Oakland gets on the phone and they three way and so one of those three girls says hey let's just declare that the kingdom of heaven has come close to us and that we are the we are the one that he will send out into a harvest and declare the freedom in their body because in Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 9 sick people get healed Ooh. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? You think it's just preacher's talk. No, man, I'm, I, don't, I, I don't have enough time for preacher talk. Like when sometimes I, I'm not a prophet, but sometimes I get prophetic. And I say, you know what? Let's just declare that there's neighborhoods close to us where we have influence and impact. It's more likely for young men to go to prison than to college. And I said, we ain't having it. And then I declare, no, we're going to declare they're going to school. And y'all, everybody says, oh, that's so, pastor's got this big vision. No, man, I've got scripture. He says to go into a place where darkness is, 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 uh, abounds and you stand there and declare, the kingdom of heaven has come nigh unto you. And I have been sent into this field of harvest and there is going to be an authority over the words that I speak that young man will, men in this neighborhood will stop going to prison and start going to college. And then I just add little stuff to it. Like, not just college, but they're going to graduate with master's degree from Ivy League schools and then come back and preach the gospel to the very community that they got set free from. Amen. See, that just gets me excited because I asked this, and then we're going to let Amy sing for a moment. I said, City Gate, let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to enable and empower us to be laborers in His field, to have the confidence to say to the kingdom, has come near to you. And he sent us to places no one would go and believe things about his transformational gospel of salvation that makes drug users pastors like not only myself but Pastor Alex. We stand with a boldness of authority given to us by God, enabled by the Holy Spirit to combat and defeat the powers of darkness, to proclaim in the harvest that there is healing for the sick, freedom to the bound, light into darkness. We have been sent so you can get so we have been sent for you so you can help us go get others. Wonder what it is that somebody's praying for next to you. If we could see into their heart, wonder what the, wonder what the, um, the prayer request would be. And wonder how we're going to pray today. Wonder how we are. Wonder if we're going to pray, God, send the harvest, send the healing, send this, send the deliverance, send the freedom, send that. Or are we going to go get it? We're going to say, hey, I'm going to take you by the hand and I got Jesus by the hand and we're going to put your hand in his hand and we're going to stand right here and declare that the kingdom has come nigh unto us right here. And we're going to pray for that freedom, that healing, that liberty, that deliverance, that, he that salvation right now. So 
I want you to think of two things. What is the greatest prayer request on the person sitting to your left and to your right? And then what is your greatest prayer request?